All hands, this is the captain speaking. Starfleet has confirmed reports that Romulus was destroyed two weeks ago by an ultranova in the adjacent Toba system. The colonies and subjugated worlds that survived are in need of humanitarian aid. Arabella has been assigned to a convoy that will cross the neutral zone in order to provide assistance. We are uncertain of the reception we will receive, but it is it likely, likely we will be met with resistance from the Romulan people. They won't want to accept charity from the Federation, but the captain says we should be prepared to accept evacuees and deal with confrontations with rogue members of the military. Security teams will need to be ready at a moment's notice. We'll we will begin, begin drills at 0800 to prepare. Sick bay may be inundated with ill and wounded. I don't want my department to be overwhelmed. Many of you were a part of the staff aboard the Tiberius. You were seasoned veterans. I know you are fully capable of handling this situation. Shields up. Red alert. <laughs> Captain, our shields cannot take much more. Beyond the neutral zone, the Romulan people suffer in chaos. The Hobus Ultranova laid waste to their fractured empire. Stability has crumbled, and infrastructure ravaged. Friend and foe amass in shadows, waiting to pick their bones. Yet the Federation takes nothing but their burdens. These are the voyages of Arabella, the flagship of the Seventh Fleet. Its mission, to defend the helpless, to render aid where needed, to befriend a former enemy, to boldly go where no Starfleet vessel has gone before. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Ready Room, the Trex and Sci-Fi microcast. I'm Jen and I play Dr. Dret and Captain Savril. Today you'll hear Feather's commentary on his character Lieutenant Galdar, the Ferengi helmsman. Afterwards I'll do a special gin mix of the story so far. Thank you as always to those of you who have read for the story and also to the writers. The Ready Room is about 50 posts behind in the story so far. And uh... Real time on the RPG, we're about to wrap up. We'll probably have another week or two before the season ends. You'll continue to have a regular releases of the Ready Room until Kenny can return because Jen is just too busy. So I hope you enjoy this and please remember take a few seconds out of your busy day and email us at the Ready Room Podcast at gmail.com and let us know what you like about it. And if you're a writer, take a few minutes, like Feathers did, and record a little something about your character. Send it to the ready room, and we'll play it before the story so far. Hey all, this is Mike, Feathers on the Forum, and RPG writer for Galdar in Season 9, and Galdar and Tolok in this season, Season 10. Well, ready rumors, first off, can I just say thank you very much for giving me the chance to say something about my characters this season and the the changes they've gone through with the change of circumstance for the ship and her crew. It was an interesting proposal after only one season of writing to actually think about what I might change, the way I might do things differently, and the opportunity to put that into play. So, what differences have been introduced into Galdar's life through the change from season 9 to season 10? Well, I guess the 
biggest thing to talk about that's changed is his career. He's still about 30 years old. His age, his early upbringing hasn't changed at all. But what has changed is the time at which he got pulled into Starfleet Academy. In the previous reality, I think he went into the Academy at about 26, so he had just come out, graduated at 30, straight on to Starbase 416 as a, a young ensign and a shuttle pilot. Uh, that was the beginning of Season 9, and then in the middle of that season, put in place his request for a transfer to the Arabella because his research had indicated that that was going to be a more interesting posting than the Starbase. In this reality now that we've introduced for Season 10, he was recruited into the Academy at a much earlier age. I think it was about 19, so one year after minimum entrance age, in fact. And what that gives him now is seven years Starfleet experience, again starting out as a shuttle pilot, on the Tiberius, in fact, working under Eric James, and then after the Lucas virus and the resulting quarantine, he was again posted to Starbase 416. But this time around, same as last time, in fact, shuttle work just got a little too boring for him on the Starbase. So this time he took the opportunity of a transfer and moved across to the USS Luxembourg, Sabre-class ship, went off exploring somewhere, took the job as a bridge officer. So he was uh, flying starships for a little bit. Then when the Arabella was built, fitted out, Eric James put in a request for him and he was transferred aboard, fairly short notice, took a promotion as part of the package to get there. So now we have him as a, a full lieutenant, or lieutenant if you want to be American, and con officer of the Arabella. I mean, it's interesting how he got there. That's the mechanics within the story. Outside the story, I deliberately positioned him as a pilot in Season 9, deliberately put him as a shuttle pilot because it was a position that carried minimal importance. He could come and go from the story as he pleased. Not being present wouldn't affect things because I wanted to see, A, whether I could write whether I could write enough to make my contribution worth the effort and you know whether the whole RPG would hang together having found that it did or at least I think it did in season 9 anyway come season 10 I took the opportunity of the rewrite of history to grab the poor old Ferengi a slightly more important position which is probably means he can get into more trouble in, in that position what seems to be happening at the moment is that yes he's, he's got a more responsible position on the ship but he's still feeling his way throughout that. He's not used to working with this bridge crew. He's not used to Savril's style of command. As I said, he's worked for Eric in the past. But he doesn't know his wife very well, doesn't really know what to expect of his new captain, so he's feeling his way through that a little bit. I think I said at one point he would uh, sort out his efficiencies, get himself working well with the crew, and popularity could come later on. So there may be a, a little bit of... Uh, rubbing people up the wrong way as he, he tries to get a feel for his, his place in things and the, and the way his captain likes to carry out her job. The other thing the rewrite's given us the opportunity to do with Galdar is to introduce him, introduce a friendship with Rala Drett, the, the Doctor, because his time at the Academy changed. It put his four years there in place at the same time as, as four of Rala's five years, so... Jen and I got together and we've written a fair amount of backstory introducing the two to each other and going through some of the stuff they got up to together as, as friends at the Academy. And their friendships continued in the intervening seven years, both on Tiberius and when they were doing separate things in the, the time between starships. Hopefully it'll carry on into the season, but it, it certainly gives us something to play off on that front. It gives him somebody he knows fairly well, somebody to talk to. So while he's feeling his way around the bridge crew, he has got somebody else aboard the ship who he knows very well, knows him very well that he can relate to through all of this. 
It's interesting, actually, having done some of that writing in between season 9 and 10 with Jen. I find that while it works, writing Galdar and Ryla, writing Galdar and Surreal is quite a different concept, and the, the, the characters really do, do take over in their own right. Just because you're writing with the same person doesn't mean that with different characters you get on in just the same way. It's quite an education in, in that regard as to where this whole writing process works. So, there you have it. I think that's probably Galdar in a nutshell. Released as much of him as I can remember at the moment that I'm speaking. If you want to see more, there's obviously his, his profiles in the character profile section of the forum. And there, I think we're up to about two pages of, of backstory posts. And I've written stuff taking him through from leaving his home on Ferengana through the intervening year before he was recruited into the Academy. And then Jen and I put together a whole load of stuff at the Academy with, with him and Ryla. I don't think we've got too much. I don't think I've done anything after that yet. I'll probably do that in the next break. So if you want to find out more of the ways put together, then it's revealed quite clearly in there. I'm quite pleased with all of that. You have his episode of the um, Kobayashi Maru test, which was referred to in one of the earlier posts of this season. Thanks for the opportunity to explain a bit of what's going on. I'm aware I've got Tolok going in this season as well. Don't know quite so much about him because I've only just started writing him now, but I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll put together another little snippet like this on him. Thanks. Ryla turned as Lieutenant Commander Catan rose from his table. It was the first time she noticed him. She let her eye roam the behemoth woman he was with. What does he see in her, she thought. She's a giant, the Trill watched as Catan left the lounge. He was more than likely on his way to the bridge in response to the intruder alert. There was little the chief medical officer could do with regards to intruders, but she would check with the bridge and with sickbay before she turned in for the evening. She flicked her eyes back to Galdar and Jared Olson. I have to go. Thank you for the conversation. What are you doing tomorrow night? Jared asked with a loopy grin. Ryla gave him a tight smile. I have a lot of work to do. We'll see. His grin shrank to a half smile as she turned to the Ferengi. I'll talk to you later, Galdi. With that, she strode with purpose to the exit. As he strode calmly into the engineering section, Lieutenant Commander Tolok's presence was immediately noted by at least three engineers. Their eyes surveyed their surroundings almost as often as they examined their consoles. Tolok, in his turn, noted the phasers worn by his people as the modified alert procedures were put into place for their mission in Romulan space. Nodding approval, he pushed further in towards the throbbing, whirling light show that was the ADP-02 class warp core of these intrepid class starships. As the lieutenant commander reached the guardrail control console, the beta shift watch officer stepped from the ascender platform to his right and approached the Vulcan. Sir, he acknowledged his commander, warp core and zero-point power generation systems are secure and protective shields erected. Engineering access from decks 10 and 11 has been restricted to on-duty personnel and senior staff only. No attempt to breach any of the engineering spaces has been detected. Tolok simply nodded. Very good, Lieutenant, he stated. While not expecting trouble from any refugees they may pick up, it had been agreed before they left New Vulcan that certain areas of the ship would remain out of bounds to non-Starfleet personnel at all times. 
This was not a problem that the intrepid class normally had to contend with, so Tolok and Decolin had come to their own accommodation about who would and would not be allowed in the engineering section, and how that would be controlled. Once the captain had signed off on the plans, they had been rolled out across the 7th Fleet as standard operating procedure. Weapons had not normally been carried by engineers, but this far from home, it had been deemed prudent, under certain alert conditions, to take this extra precaution. Given that none of their guests were supposed to be in here, it had been deemed unlikely that the precautionary arming of the duty engineering team would cause any concern or upset. What their visitors did not know could not hurt them, and if the visitor found out, then he or she was then likely engaged in something that would probably justify these procedures. This one thought prompted another. Ensign Frida, Tolok called across to the other officer in the room. Please ensure that Shuttle Bay 2 has been secured from future security alerts. As it is effectively a civilian area, it is only logical that we relieve them from interruptions of, of standard Starfleet operations about which they can do nothing. I am sure that they would not wish their children disturbed by such events. Pausing, he caught the lieutenant's eye. Please also ensure that the Starfleet personnel present in the Bay Area are alert via their communicators. Frida nodded. Returning to his console while dismissing the watch officer, Tolok moved towards his office. Finding nothing of consequence during her search of the room, Shelby moved across the table from the Romulan and watched the man. As the intruder spoke, she narrowed her eyes. His arrogance was obvious. Pausing to take a sip of his drink, he continued, The name is Oren. I'm expected. If you didn't know the name, I'll assume it's because it was above your pay grade. I'll wait until you find someone I could speak freely to. DeColin smiled. He was too experienced and too thick-skinned to let a quip like that bother him. Expected? Really? It was stupid of you not to use the front door. Only friends and family use the back door. You're hardly that. From her position in the corridor, Captain Savril overheard the man give his name and moved to the entry. Stand down, she ordered. The utter calm of her voice was at odds with her disapproving eyes. You're early and unannounced, she said to the Romulan standing before the viewport. Although Daleen obeyed the captain, she wasn't about to allow her attention to leave the Romulan. She could see it in his eyes. He had little regard for anyone on the ship. He wasn't to be trusted in her opinion. My apologies, Captain, but it was necessary, Oren said with a polite half-nod of his head. He allowed himself to look over the gathered faces before speaking again. As much as I enjoy the beautiful views your ship has thus far offered, this isn't merely a social visit. I've risked my life and craft to inform you that you're being followed by at least one cloaked vessel. Informing you of this issue falls under the duties that I have been assigned. Would you and your first officer care to join me for a drink while I get you caught up? His blue eyes openly took in the beauty of the Vulcanoid women that currently stood in the room. As far as forced assignments went, his unwanted task was far more manageable when he enjoyed the scenery. His eyes shifted from the captain and then to the half-Romulan ensign. I hope my sudden visit didn't drag you out of bed as well. The stone-cold stare that she displayed for the Romulan did nothing to welcome him. She spoke in a low tone. 
Rekna. Shelby's eyes flicked towards the captain, then to Duck Collin, and she stepped back. It had been a challenge to keep her temper while the Romulans were on the ship. She had been shunned many times in the past, and she knew this wasn't going to help. Shelby was sorry, but she would not be sorry in front of this one. Her gray orbs returned to the smug alien before them, and she held any remarks for the time being. She would not trust him, no matter who he was. Orin raised his glass to the insult spoken in his native tongue. It was a clever enough attack, and one that was not far from the truth. He was an orphan, found on the streets and raised in common life. He rose to this position, not because of title or birthright, but because he earned it. I would hope that you would get to know me before you called me garbage. Insults don't usually come until well into the relationship. Orin shook his head. I'm sorry if my words or arrival offended anyone present. Perhaps I've forgotten the finer points of civility in my isolation. His words were ashes to Shelby, but none of her feelings registered in her expression. There was little he could say that would sway her. Romulans were a hard people, and while some had a softer side, a good number were vicious at the core. Later, she would take her frustrations out in the gym, where no one would see them. She turned her stormy attentions to Lieutenant Commander DeCallan, then back to the intruder. Savril to bridge. Bridge here. Go to yellow alert. We have a cloaked vessel in our wake. Aye, Captain, came a surprised voice. Savril turned to the Chief of Security. I believe the Commander and I can manage from here. Commander Oren is our Romulan liaison, said the Captain. Thank you, Mr. DeCallan. You are dismissed, she said with a calm presence that dominated the gathering. Lieutenant Commander DeCallan motioned to Shelby and Darius, and they immediately left the room. Nodding to the Captain and the First Officer as they moved into the corridor, Joseph paused in the entry with his eyes on Oren. He turned back to the captain. Ma'am, he quietly uttered and proceeded into the corridor. Eric finally entered and tilted his head to study the man. In a room full of rampant emotions, it was odd that he could not easily sense those of the stranger. Welcome aboard the Arabella, the first officer offered in civil tones. He had his own questions about the man, but it wasn't his place to voice them so freely. Savril absently tightened her belted robe, and moved to the briefing table once the security team had vacated the room. The Romulan man gestured to the glasses of ale, but the captain shook her head in response. I do not drink. Eric calmly took the other glass and sipped its contents. It wasn't his style to drink so late in the day, but he offered the action as a sign of trust to the man. As the door of the briefing room whispered closed behind him, DeCallan stood there a moment, staring at it. He pointed at the security officers, then his sharp gaze went back to the door. Shelby could tell by his manner that the incident had bothered the chief. Joseph took a breath and finally spoke to the armed security officers. You do. Keep guard. He directed his remark towards two of the men who had arrived as backup. Notify me immediately if anything happens. Clearly, the captain seemed to trust the smug Romulan intruder, but that did not mean he had to. Furthermore, Joe didn't like how this had gone down. He'd like a bit more information on this visitor. He walked away from the men with Ensign Dallin and Shane. That was interesting. His tone did not expose his true opinion of the matter. Make your reports. Darius, I want to ensure we don't have any more surprise individuals casually beaming onto this ship. 
The stress he placed on the one word was the only obvious indication of curiosity. As he watched Shane depart, he strove to the half one minute. Shelby walked with me. With the woman in tow, Joseph kept a quick pace as he headed down the corridor. Reaching up, he tapped his badge. The Canon to Catan, we've had an unauthorised visitor. He has informed us that we are being followed and he's currently with the Captain and Commander Eric in the briefing room. Keep your eyes peeled, will you, mate? The Callan had. Joseph and Shelby continued towards the turbo lift in silence. Finally, as they hit the doors, he turned to the woman and released a slight sigh. Look, I'll meet you in the hollow suite for some training, Anson. As the doors hissed open, he didn't wait for a reply. He just disappeared into the lift. Shelby stared a moment at the closed doors. Her eyes narrowed again, and she clapped her hands behind her back before heading down the corridor to the briefing room, where the captain and the first officer now sat with Oren. As the alert indicators flickered to yellow, Tolok put the pad he'd been reading down on his desk and stood. Duty had held him in engineering while the possibility of an intruder was current, but with the return to normal operations, even at the heightened alert state, his presence in his department was no longer required. Leaving his office, he was in time to see the warp core containment field drop and the first team check in the weapons they'd been carrying. Nodding in acknowledgement of the lieutenant on duty, he walked through the centre of his domain toward the protective blast door which parted just before he reached them, admitting a pair of additional technicians called to duty by the increased alert status. In the corridor, Tollock turned left as the doors closed behind him and walked quickly to the turbo lift, his quarters and the chance to meditate. As the turbo lift opened on deck one, Catan's comm badge pinged for his attention. To Callan to Catan, we've had an unauthorized visitor. He has informed us that we are being followed and he's currently with the captain and commander Eric in the briefing room. Keep your eyes peeled. DeCallan out. Thanks for the update, Chief. He tapped his comm badge. Katan to Ops, Lieutenant Otek. It appears as though our theory on the anomalous readings is correct. Fortunately, the captain is on top of the situation. Understood, sir. Mr. Otek, I want you to work with Tactical and see what you can do about refining the shield and warp field monitoring routines. We need to redefine what constitutes an acceptable spike in power usage. Have the new parameters tied into our warning protocols. I want us to be alerted the moment there is the slightest fluctuation in shield or warp field integrity. Catan sighed and thought to himself, We got lucky this time. I'd hate to think what kind of havoc a hostile intruder could cause if he slipped through our shields. After giving a nod to the men guarding the door to the briefing room, Catan turned and stepped back into the lift. Afterburner. Commander Owen, the newly arrived liaison officer to the 7th Fleet, stood at the berth once reserved for the Posado, but now assigned to house his vessel. The greenish-black craft, a little under 30 metres in length, looked decidedly out of place in the shine and sparkle of the well-lit bay. He moved his finger over the wrist-mounted Romulan pad and authorised the security features of the craft. He found it far easier to land the dagger-like craft in the Federation landing bay than he did on the skin of the ship. While the new home of his vessel wasn't a warbird and didn't contain the spare parts that he might need to mount future repairs, the database aboard had ship had the schematics. It would only be a matter of using Federation replicators to create the needed parts. 
Armin found himself oddly at home on the Federation vessel. For a good portion of the last decade, he had found himself spending more time in Federation space than the space of the Imperial State. He was not a diplomat by any stretch of the imagination, but followed the will of the Empress Donatra and did not question her direction of his career. She had trusted him to carry and deliver the honour of the Empire to whatever new home they found. It was his task to give that honour to a worthy leader that might rise from the ashes of recent tragedy. Arwen ignored the eyes that drifted towards him and his craft. He knew firsthand on how prejudiced the Federation could be despite their pretense at harmony. They had worked long to paint his people as a heartless enemy, and he could not fault the citizens for believing the propaganda. He, however, did not have the luxury to believe in the propaganda his own people once fostered about their now allies. He had no choice but to judge a person on their individual merits, and not the rumours of their species. Begin full diagnostic of all systems, Arin said in the air after tapping his wrist to activate his ship's communication system. Complying with the order, the computer replied in a more common version of the Romulan tongue. Arin ran his fingers through his hair and glanced to the small display of the wrist device. He had not found any problems with his ship, but deeper diagnostics would be used to confirm that. Were he to wear robes instead of blacks and leather, Arin could almost pass for a Vulcan. Almost. He made no attempts to hide, suppress, or displace his emotion, and it often showed on his face. Shelby had hit a wall in her information, which she had been studying on the La. This supposedly friendly Romulan liaison on the ship, and with a computer on said ship, the gears had started moving in her head. So, here she stood outside the shuttle bay doors, considering if this was such a good idea after all. She had called him garbage, after all. Still... She rationalised the chance was a chance, so she had gotten into her uniform after doing her morning routine in the gym, braided her long dark hair back, as was her standard, and here she was walking into the shuttle bay, and now gazing at the ship from the doorway. She was still having those misgivings crawling at the back of her mind. There was no doubt about that. She hadn't even told the Callan she was coming to see the man. This was a bad idea, she told herself. She pivoted on her heel and started walking away. She would take this through proper channels and leave it at that. About to hit the door, a voice called out to her. Instant Dylan! She froze, her fingers curling slightly as she waited. Sighing heavily but not visibly, she turned. Commander Arvin. Walking back towards the man as if nothing mattered to her, she purposely didn't answer him. His head slightly tilted in thought before he spoke again, this time in fluent Federation, standard as to avoid translator issues. Is there something that I can help you with, Ensign? Her grey gaze never wavered from his eyes. She was trying to read him, see what he was about, to find the deception that she suspected he hid. Were you here? I know what the captain said. Now what do you say? You, after all, are in a perfect position of power. Her tone was even and calm. Arwen smiled as he studied the woman, then allowed it to abruptly vanish. Why are you here? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's clear that both of your parents aren't Romulan, yet you seem to take offence at the sight of one. Did your Romulan parent force the other against their wishes? I couldn't imagine another reason for the closed-minded venom you offer. I assure you, the sight of a Romulan does not offend me, and my parentage is none of your concern. What is my concern is this ship and the security of it. What you may see as venom and offence is only mistrust in someone who sneaks onto the Arabella 
while we are in the middle of a crisis. Grey eyes watched him carefully. Orin chuckled. Do you take me for a fool, Ensign? There is never any danger to you or your ship. I left my arms on the table and your commanding officer placed a phaser to the back of my head, a fatal gesture regardless of the discharge setting a weapon I set on. As for my purpose here, I was expected, and I arrived in a means that would not put either ship in danger from an enemy that you could not see for yourself. Perhaps I should have uncloaked to allow another of your trigger-happy cowboys to fire first and cover up any questions. A smile spread along her lips, and she spoke ever so softly as Shelby strode past him to look at his ship. There has been much distrust between our people, Owen. My experience with both has taught me the dangers and hazards of each half of my heritage. It is a hurdle both races will need to address before we can move forward. The question is, who will make the first move? She turned to stare into the man's face to read his expression. Owen moved to make clear eye contact with the woman. If you want some explanation, I'm sorry, but that's not going to happen. I am not here to give answers to everyone on this ship with doubts. I'm here for the Twin Empires. I'm here to make sure that the people are treated fairly by, from what I have seen, a crew that seems to have a good deal of prejudice to work out regarding the people that are here to help. I believe that you have serious misconceptions about half of your heritage. Lifting a brow at the man, Shelby felt the ache of rejections in her life, the pent-up rage from her time on the colony washing back over her. She had been cast out from both races more than once, and now he was accusing her of the very vile thing that she hated about those people. Staring at the man, she felt her fingers trembling. He had hit her core and stung her with it. You are mistaken. I called both of them that. Once again, though, that was not my question. You have given me flowery innocent answers to why you are here, and that is all well and good, but why wouldn't you want to take advantage of this crisis, to grab a piece of power for yourself in an empire that is no more? Honestly, darling, oh, is there any of your damn concern? Owen asked bluntly but smoothly. Do you believe that you should somehow have a hand in selecting the future direction of the Empire? I'll grant that I'm new to this ship, but I'm quite familiar with the chain of command. Why is an ensign confronting a superior about motives that her higher-ups are already well aware of? Call it morbid curiosity. Shelby looked at the man evenly. Owen studied the young woman. I'm here because it is the right thing to do. I'm here because a duty needs to be performed and we don't always have the option of choosing where our paths take us. There are a lot of my people. He paused to point out towards the stars. Out there, and on this ship that lost everything, their entire life, their families and their homes all gone. I didn't have any of that to worry about. I'm here because someone needs to be here. Someone needs to stand up for the people and sometimes fate decides to make it the person with the least deepest wounds. Fate or a certain empress. That's neither here nor there. Someone is of the belief that there are people in this group that cannot do that, she asked with interest. Someone is always of that belief, Owen answered. That doesn't mean that the effort stops. I'm here because I believe that my people are better than that. I'm here because I believe my people can be better than they were. It doesn't hurt that there are Orions on this ship, or at least one Orion. I'm not too clear on that yet, but I've always enjoyed the green of things in life. Giving a half smile... Shelby looked downwards, then she looked back up at the man saying nothing for the time being. She just studied it. Have I sufficiently stated your curiosity, or was your imagination running away from you? Owen asked. Usually when someone stares that long, it's to imagine what someone's clothing is hiding. The sudden, unexpected and uncharacteristic laugh which came from Shelby 
filled the shuttle bay, and she eventually stopped to look at the Romulan with a pleasant smile for a moment, before she hesitantly returned to her calm demeanour. Gazing at the man with mirth still in her grey orbs, she shook her head. You have a wit about you which is uncommon. Not as uncommon as you think. Our people pour themselves on their emotions and passions. What is humour if not another fine emotion? Owen mused between reading the display on his wrist that contained the progress of the ship's diagnostic. Walking round the ship, Dallin spoke. I know about the Romulan people. I grew up on a border colony. Of course it wouldn't rival the homeworlds. Still, it was. Her gaze flickered back to the man. Enough of a taste to know. Her eyes returned to their admiring of this ship. She is very... pleasing for a ship. What is her name? Reaching out, she just touched the hull with her fingertips, almost caressing the metallic skin. Well, she was named the Sword of Satask, by the Empress Danatra, Owen said in between observing her. Speaking the name in Romulan, shall be soon enticed by it. And then she sighed and dropped her hand and turned to the Romulan. I should go. Owen watched her a little more closely. I can understand that there are far too many things aboard my vessel to cause temptations to one not so fluent with our society. Her gaze shifted to the man, almost rebelliously, yet she said nothing. I would invite you to tour the vessel, but at this point I'm not too sure uh, that I should be placing you in such a compromising position, he added. Almost jumping at a chance, Shelby stopped herself at the lure of a tour was difficult to turn down. You do tempt me, but you are correct. Without the proper approval it might be seen as something it is not. Giving a nod to the man, she moved away. She would need to talk to the Cullen first. No, it wasn't the time to ask him for access to his computer. Later. Owen examined her as she left and moved his wrist to pull up the location of a place to grab a drink with someone other than himself. Letting her diagnostic continue, the commander moved towards a lift and a short ride to the ship's bar. Senator Navash was conscious when Dr. Drett returned to sickbay. The stabbing victim had demanded a discharge from the ward, even though she was too weak to stand. Senator Ketlek, who suffered a head injury aboard the transport, was recovering well. Both Romulans had exchanged a number of colorful and rather vociferous insults that their universal translator was kind enough to interpret for the blushing trill. Rather than call them down, Ryla strode outside to inform the security officers of her patient's mutual aversion. The officers had been mingling in the corridor when she returned to sickbay, and all she had to do was step through the doors to bring them up to speed. I'm going to slip them a little something to help them sleep. Make sure they don't kill each other when they wake up. Back on the Romulan transport, a witness informed Ryla that Ketlik attacked Navash for permitting the away team to board. The witness also happened to be Senator Ketlick's aide, and the man had been the one to strike Navash's assailant with a blunt object to prevent him from landing additional blows. The Trill had to give the profane officials each a sedative to shut them up. She did not feel particularly good about that, but it would not have been responsible of her to leave sickbay and her patients in their agitated states. Ryla was certain they would complain the next day, but they had left her with no other choice. It was either that or the brig, and neither were well enough to leave ICU. She tapped the comm badge pinned to her little black dress. Dr. Drett to bridge. 
Lieutenant Commander Bates here, came the voice of an officer she did not recognize. The doctor continued towards the turbo lift, then paused at the entrance to wait for its arrival. What is the status of the intruder alert? Should I be concerned? I haven't received a report. The trill asked as she gazed at the flashing yellow panels lining the corridor. The captain was expecting the individual who triggered the klaxon. She was in a meeting with the individual, but that concluded about an hour ago. Ryla folded her arms over her chest as she became increasingly impatient with the lift. Then why are we still at yellow alert? It's just a precaution, ma'am. I'm sure the captain will brief the senior officers soon. Shelby jogged down the corridor in a black, figure-hugging outfit and running shoes. She was looking forward to having this training session together with DeCallan. It was something she found relaxing. Unfortunately, at the moment, that wasn't the case. She knew Joe would arrive first. The detour to Orin had delayed her longer than expected. Making the corner, the ebony-haired ensign slowed as she approached the doors. They hissed open expectantly, and she stopped short of entering. He was here. Her sharp gaze took in the dimly lit landscape before her, and she spied a wooded area. It was one of the many settings the pair used during their simulations. Swearing in Romulan, she knew she'd have to find the man first. Her thoughts went to the day's events. She was well aware of the delicate situation with not only the Romulans, but Orin. Still, surely, DeCallan would see the benefit of what she planned. If she was allowed to board the liaison ship, she could find a lot more out about it. Shelby also knew why they were here. It was Joe's way of clearing his mind. Calculating her steps, Shelby strode cautiously into the room, while the light from the corridor cast harsh, dark shadows deeply into the suite. Upon walking past the door, it shushed closed, as if to cut her off from leaving. Her gray eyes shifted behind her, then back to the surrounding woods. Ambience took over as the sounds of the night animals chirping and clicking cradled her. The hairs on her neck rose as she anticipated the attack she knew would come. Looking at her from above, the commander had been watching Shelby enter the hollow suite. She was graceful, and Joseph DeCallan liked that, more than he admitted to himself sometimes. He waited until she was just under him, then he dropped from the tree on top of her, pushing her to the floor. The woman reacted with a skillful roll away from the man, then recovered to her feet in a crouching position, as her pale orbs watched every move of the chief. Joseph smiled, then spun, hitting her with a roundhouse kick, his foot nearly impacting with her cheek. She responded by lifting her hands, grabbing his foot and stopping it. Using her momentum, she gave a hard twist while pulling at the same time to drop him to the ground. Quickly turning, she lifted fully to her feet, moving back like a predator waiting for an attack. Pacing herself while watching the man with glimmering, feral eyes, accompanied by a smirk that touched the edges of her lips. The pair circled one another. Nice drop this time, she said smartly. Five minutes. Active combat. Ready. Joseph looked at her hard. Shelby darted out, catching his wrist and drawing it out straight. She went low and drug her leg out, her gray orbs never leaving his penetrating stare. Caught off guard, Joe rolled to his side. Then he captured a branch and swung it at her feet. Shelby jumped, but the wood caught her heel, causing her to wobble slightly. He tossed the makeshift weapon aside as he placed some space between them, his attention unwavering while he wondered for a moment what's going on in her mind. The woman spun away from the man, bringing her arm back and thrusting it forward. 
aiming at the center of DeCallan's chest as hard as she could. Receiving the blow, Joe staggered back, but in doing so he caught her elbow, jerking her into his body to hold her. Lifting her up, he was prepared to drop her. A smile laced the edges of his mouth. As he had lifted her, though, she drew her shoe back and kicked downwards and straightened to the knee, causing him to buckle down and groan as she pulled away from him. Joseph finally collapsed as the ensign dropped away. It's just not cricket, Dalen. Where did that come from? Shelby stood up and laughed gently. Catan, it was an academy move. He looked up. Why doesn't that surprise me? Internally, this felt like just what he needed, as the man was letting the frustrations of the day's events drain from him. Keeping to her feet, the lithe woman lowered her stance and narrowed her eyes, planning her next move. There's something I need to talk to you about. The inflection of her tone was colored with the sincerity of her words. Breathing heavily, DeCallan narrowed his eyes in suspicion. Whatever you have to say isn't going to distract me. As they circled each other, she shook her head. This is business. I went to see Oren. Getting in under his defenses, Shelby took three good strikes at the man's chest and neck, only to be denied as he easily blocked the attacks. She spun, moved in again, and swept his legs, but he dove to one side with ease as she moved in for the kill. Bouncing back up onto his feet, Joseph felt something deep inside of him growling as her words sank in. What? I went to talk to him, see what he was about. He's offered to let me tour his ship. Shelby's breathing was measured as she blocked the return strike to her chest by the man with her arm. I thought it'd be a great chance to snoop around. When do you think I should do it? Countering her, she only briefly saw Joe's move before she could block it. DeCallan slipped in under her arms, pushed her back, then kicked hard at her midsection, throwing her back onto the ground. Shelby grunted as she fell, glimpsing the displeasure in the man's expression, which was reflected in the moonlight, beating down on them. Scrambling to her feet again, there was no mistaking the look Joe gave her, and she tightened her jaw as she rubbed her midsection. I see we've moved this up a level. Joe narrowed his gaze. He tried another tactic on the half-Romulan, but this time she blocked it easily. Things were getting a bit more serious, it appeared. Shelby twisted low to avoid a strike by decalling to her leg took advantage of this distraction to reach behind his back and clip a small metal object from his belt, and using his fingers and thumb, he slid the bracket open, and he threw it at Shelby's feet. Joseph said something out loud which Jalen couldn't hear, but in response, the computer clicked, and the ground between them shimmered briefly. The shiny object spun quickly, looping around her ankles, and she looked down, turned slightly to glance back at him, managing out, What are... Without a word, DeCallum pulled the clip back in, and the thin wire locked, allowing him to pull and jerk her legs from under her. Shelby fell forward and landed on her stomach in a pool of watery dust. Joseph stood up and shook his leg. The wire got tighter as the ensign struggled. Now we're going to have ourselves a little talk, Dalen. The annoyance he felt at the knowledge that the woman had gone to see Orrin without consulting him simply irritated him to no end, and he found he couldn't just let it go. Realizing the situation she was in, Shelby tried not to move. Somehow he had procured a patch of quicksand into the holosuite program. She was beginning to sink. She tried to reach the wire wrapped around her ankles, but scrambling made her situation worse. She growled at DeCallan, You can't do this. She couldn't believe he was doing this. Trying one more time to reach the wire, Joseph pulled on it and caused her to slip down further. 
Glancing down at the device in his hand, Joe tightened his hold on it, and then his eyes returned to Shelby. I thought I could trust you. I don't trust many wi people. And look at this. You've gone behind my back. Post 137 Excuse me? Behind your back? As Shelby started to struggle, she realized that the motion caused her to sink more, and she stopped. Her gray orb shot back up at the man. Joseph, I have a Romulan who wants me to walk about his ship freely. How often does that happen at this stage of the game? Are you... His cold gaze stopped her. She narrowed her eyes and said suspiciously, Did you turn off the holodeck's safeties? He crossed his arms along his chest as he simply watched her. Oh, come on. You didn't trust him any more than I did. A few select Romulan curses flew towards him while she sank further. She was fairly sure he wouldn't kill her. After all, it would take some explaining to the captain. He looked at her and then deactivated the wire completely, letting it drop uselessly onto the surface, at which point she stared at him as if he had ten arms. Dear, to be honest, I really thought you'd done that to me a few times before. The safety protocols, I mean. Still, I guess we all have to start somewhere, eh? He winked at her and headed towards the door, leaving the sinking Shelby to shout at him. Arch! The holodeck doors opened. You aren't, she started then, to Callan, the woman said with a slight concern to her voice. Clearly he wasn't going to stop. Computer, Shelby program 5001, execute. There followed a series of chirps, and when Joseph was almost at the doorway, the arch suddenly faded away before he could make good his escape. You're cheating, Joseph said calmly. Again. Turning, he smirked at the woman. Shrugging, she smirked back. I simply decided to level the playing field, she said, watching him carefully. All the while, though, she sought out some method of pulling herself out. Realizing that he was finding amusement in watching her, she replaced her stunned reaction with a stubborn fire in her eyes. Looking around him, Joe thought for a moment. Then he moved over to one of the large nearby trees, and he leaned back against it with a casual air about him. Hmm. Nice. How's the spa? I hear mud baths are very invigorating. Would you care for a loafa? Crossing her arms along her chest, Shelby breathed outwards, and she simply stood there. She refused to speak or ask him for help as she ran scenarios through her mind as to what she could do. By the time she was waist-deep, Joseph walked forward a few steps, and he looked down. Ensign, you are bright, and one of the best security officers I've come across. Think about your situation, and I have few doubts that you can figure this out. As the man watched, she thought a bit more. Her survival training filled her mind. Obscure thoughts which she never imagined needing returned to her. Her progress was slow at first, just a bit of a wriggle, then a bit more from side to side. Gradually, she slowly pulled herself up and horizontally across the wet goo. She managed out to her knees and waited to make sure she wasn't sinking more. Then she drew herself forward in a flat, crawling motion. Her feet finally sucked free from the muddy concoction. She arrived at the dry section where she flopped onto her back, breathing heavily and with her ankles still bound together. As she lay there, her expression reflected some exhaustion, then it changed.
as she inched herself further away from the quicksand and closer to the unsuspecting Decalin. Good job, Dalen, he said. Then he shifted his attention to a small pad he was working on. Her gray eyes shifted to the man as she untangled the cord from around her ankles. She gave no hint to him that she was ticked. Yet, the moment he glanced away, Dalen went for his legs, using the wire and her body to push him back onto the ground. Not expecting her actions, Joseph was tackled onto the dry surface. Positioning herself over him, she demanded, You know you can trust me. How do I know I can trust you? She said harshly to him. Now dark and dangerous eyes searched his for an answer. You know you can trust me, Shelby. Although he was surprised, Joe kept his voice even and serious. Because if you didn't, he would have plunged me into that quicksand, not the dry surface here. He appreciated her impulsiveness. He enjoyed how sharp she was. He also found his time with Shelby, never boring. There was just something about her. Dalen's breathing slowed as his words rang true. Her thoughts drifted as his proximity became reality. Under her hand, she felt his heart beating faster. Her eyes changed. Being with him eased up her pent-up angers, and it soothed her. He looked down at the woman's hand, feeling the warmth of it through the fabric, and it was intoxicating. He let his eyes move back up into her exotic gaze. Trying to figure out if there's something beating in there? The moment which had conspired between them seemed blocked in time, as the intensity between them increased. Shelby let her hand slip off his chest. What was she doing? What was she thinking? As she retreated, Joseph followed her. Neither of them could explain to the other, but the fire between them took away the chill of being alone. He told himself she would go, while she failed to move further away. Instead, they were right there, inches away from each other, allowing him to unconsciously slip even closer. Shelby didn't get up and leave. Everything told her this wasn't right. Joseph lifted up his hand with hesitation, then with boldness as he traced her jawline. Then he caressed his way upwards to allow his fingertips to just graze her tapered ear tenderly on one side. The half-Romulan storm-colored gaze searched his blue-green orbs as his touch fueled the growing emotions. She wanted to whisper his name as she felt the warmth of his breath as he neared her. She leaned into him ever so slightly. The hollow sweet calms broke in, much like shattering a piece of fine crystal on a tile floor, and from the silence came a bold voice. Commander Orrin to Ensign Dalen. Joe and Shelby's eyes broke, and the chill that had been chased from the room by their contact returned. The spell had been broken. Glancing downwards, Shelby responded, This is Ensign Dalen. How may I help you, Commander? Her eyes followed DeCallan as he became distant to her, and he lifted. Orin's voice replied via the comms. I have some time to kill later tonight after the senior staff meeting. If you want to join me for a drink aboard my ship. The ensign's gaze went to Joseph as he stood and walked over to the discarded wire and bracket, picking it up and acting as if nothing was wrong. Her lips parted as if she wanted to speak to him, but she diverted to the communique. Um, actually, Commander, I think I might take a rain check on that. Could we arrange another time? 
I should be free later tomorrow evening, he said. Would that work for you? Standing herself, Shelby followed Joseph, but stopped short as she responded first. I will need to check my duties. I will get back to you. Thank you, Commander. Dalen out. The comm systems chirped off, and the half-Romulan finally moved up behind a callan. Let me know what you want me to focus on before I go, she offered softly. Yeah, he said distantly, while shifting his eyes back to her. He re-secured the device he had used on her. Then, to his own surprise, DeCallan moved to her, reached up, and touched her warm cheek to wipe a spot of mud from her skin. He didn't want to forget what had just occurred between them. Or maybe he just wanted to prove himself that he hadn't imagined it. Joseph closed his eyes as if mustering the strength to do what he needed to. Computer and program. Nothing happened. He looked back to the dark-haired woman. She held a playful smirk at the corner edges of her lips. <clears throat> Computer, release Shelby 5001 program and execute code 70. The arch appeared and the room shimmered away, returning into the yellow-black grid as they stood face to face. Without a thought, Shelby reached up with her hand. She was about to touch him when he stopped her. Did he really think that she would betray him somehow? What could she say to him? What would you have me do, Joseph? Came her tenderly spoken question to him. He seemed to pull himself up more. Do your job, Ensign. Releasing her wrist, he pivoted on his heel and walked out of the hollow suite without another word leaving Shelby to try to sort out her own feelings about what had happened between them. Orrin stood quietly in the empty turbo lift as it made the quick rise to deliver him on the deck where sickbay resided. The muscularly fit Romulan rolled his head in a circular motion to release some of the tension from the earlier events of the evening. While it was his primary goal to find a nice place to sit and have a beverage, the policies of his hosts dictated that he first check in for one of their physicals. Previous conversation had caused the little detail to slip from his mind, but once in the lift, he had the misfortune of recalling it. The door to the turbo lift finally opened before Ryla. Thank you, Commander, said Ryla, with a touch of acerbity in her tone. The hassle the two senators caused in sickbay had made her mood far less buoyant than usual. She started to move inside the car when she realized a man blocked her path. Excuse me, she said with a smile and tried to skirt around him. Oren took a small step back to allow the woman in the lift. His eyes moved slowly over her form, in part to determine her species and to admire how well she filled out the black dress she wore. What deck are you headed to, he asked. He was holding the door open, preventing the lift from moving. Ryla narrowed her eyes slightly. Why... Polite conversation, he replied with a smile. I'm new to the ship, and I'm trying to get a feel of things. I'm Orin. The Trill realized at that point that his brows were upswept. A Vulcan? No. The smile he wore told her he was Romulan, perhaps one of the evacuees. Her expression softened. Are you looking for a particular location? Actually, I'm doing everything in my power to avoid the medical bay for some sort of physical... He chuckled, and leaned in the doorway as he spoke. I believe any responsible medical officer would agree that a conversation with a beautiful woman is a justifiable delay. She tried not to smile. I'm Dr. Drett, Chief Medical Officer. 
I'm not expecting an appointment, and certainly not one at this hour. You're either very early or very late. <laughs> well, doctor, you're certainly not what I expected. His smile broadened, and he took a step inside to free the doors. And since you're not expecting me, could we just postpone the physical? Would you join me for a drink instead? He was quite handsome, if a bit forward. I'm actually about to turn in for the evening. Thank you for the offer. You can come by for your physical in the morning, when sickbay is better staffed. I'm merely trying to get to know the crew. She couldn't help but smile at that. My Ferengi friend would be very impressed with your attempt to sell whatever it is you're offering. I bet you slide when you walk. I hover, but you're changing the subject. You have a very beautiful smile, he said. He was smooth, she would give him that. I'll point you towards the afterburner if you'll drop the cheesy pickup lines. Since you're an evacuee, I'll accompany you as a diplomatic gesture, but I can't stay long. I have an early shift tomorrow. Done, he agreed. Also, for the sake of transparency, I am not one of the refugees you recovered. I'm your liaison. Well, the liaison of your ship and fleet. I wasn't aware that such an official was aboard the Arabella. Diplomatic gesture indeed. This decision had the potential of being disastrous. If he was in fact a liaison, then that meant he was some sort of diplomat. Rayla wasn't accustomed to socializing with ambassadors. Her mind rolled through the array of blunders she would likely make and the myriad of cataclysmic outcomes. One such result included mission failure, all due to a remark spouted in ignorance. Knowledge of my presence was need to know, plans within plans and all of that, but nothing too shady, just a safety measure. There are some aboard who would not be pleased with my arrival. Rayla gave him ample room within the lift. She wasn't sure how much of what he said was true, but she didn't think it would be difficult to find out. Afterburner, Oren said aloud before focusing his attention on the woman. What's your usual drink of choice? Yellow fever. But I already had one of those tonight with a man who may still be there. I don't want any misunderstandings. This is just a friendly chat over a drink. It would hurt Jared if he thought otherwise. I may have to do that at some point but I'd rather it not be due to a misconception. Is this a man that you plan to be intimate with again? He asked. If you're not interested in him, a little pain now will be better than tractoring him along with no destination in mind. She scrutinized him from the other side of the lift. You're very frank. I'm an honest person, he shrugged. I think that direct honesty is better than half-truths when possible. Actually, I was referring to the inquiry, not the suggestion. My Ferengi friend wouldn't even venture into that territory. Why not? He raised a brow. Is it something you don't want others to know? That would make it difficult for suitors to know if you're available, wouldn't it? I'm simply stating that it is a very direct question. She tried to give him a reassuring smile. I probably shouldn't frown on a diplomat. The lift slowed to a stop, and Ryla almost bounded into the corridor as the door whisked open. I'm sorry if my question made you uncomfortable he said as he followed behind her. It's quite a task trying to learn what other species find polite or offensive. I personally prefer the path of honesty. I'm given too many half-truths when dealing with politicians. For you, I will mind my manners, or at least attempt the Federation standard of them. She spared him a look over her shoulder and slowed her pace. Together they approached the oaken double doors of the Arabella's most popular hangout. 
A holographic sign welcomed them above the entrance. The green flames that spelled the name of Sira Frederick's lounge licked the ceiling like a hungry targ. It was a glitzy directional for a starship, and Ryla wondered what sort of under-the-table dealings Sira had to do to gain Starfleet's approval for the installation. Dr. Drett stepped through the doors with Orin and entered the bustling afterburner. It was open mic night, and the room was alive with music and patrons eating dinner and playing Domjot. She paused in the entry and scanned the room for a moment. Galdar was seated alone at a table now, and to her relief, Jared Olson was nowhere to be seen. A few of the Romulan patrons turned to watch Orin sweep into the room with the trill. They seemed curious, as did a number of her fellow crewmates. He bent low to her ear and softly whispered, How do I look? The warmth of his breath prompted goosebumps to form on her neck, and she flinched at his unexpected action. After the briefest pause, she answered him, You look unique. His clothing was not typical of the drab-looking uniforms worn by many Romulans. Orin's black suit fit him well, and, if it was possible, made his bright eyes even more striking. Unique is acceptable, he continued in a whisper. Ryla managed not to jump a second time and proceeded towards Galdar, wishing the people in the room would go back to their drinks. And that concludes this week's episode of The Ready Room. I'm Jen, hailing frequencies closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks.
think he likes you at all. <laughs> no, I don't like you either. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes, because it's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the <coughs> dialogue. I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Hello there. I'd be honoured if you could take a few minutes to check out my little show, Happy Times. If you own an iPod, Touch, or an iPhone, if you love applications but are feeling the pinch of the current economic climate, then this is the podcast for you. Each week I'll review a free or cheap application and spend a few minutes gassing on about why I like it. Or not. Buying apps over the air can be both addictive and expensive. So why not spend a few minutes a week listening to Happy Times, and I'll try to separate the wheat from the chaff. Just go to appytimes.podbean.com or search the iTunes store for Happy Times. That's A-P-P-Y-T-I-M-E-S. Come and share the Happy Times with me. Hello there, my name is Med. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. All right, I mean, this is Mark. And we are the present Mark. Oh, just get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle on Podcast, and we like to talk about crap TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? Some of it, really, <laughs> especially the British stuff. But we're having a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at the http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. Do not smile when I say the word colon. Oh, Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't you turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.com. Zaboo! Zaboo!